Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Good morning, church. Yeah, this is normally the time where we send all of our younger grade school kids out of the service for their class uh, most weeks, but on the third Sunday of every month, they stay in here with us for big church. Uh, so it might be a little more noisy in here than usual, but that's okay, right? I've said many times that it probably bothers you more than it bothers me uh, if you're a parent of one of those kiddos. Uh, but if you've got a Bible with you this morning, open with me to Genesis chapter 9. Where we're going to be today as we continue in this Foundations series, looking at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it'll be on the screen behind me as we read together. You can follow along there. Uh, but if you do have one, I'll continue to point you back to it. So I encourage you to open it, whether it be an app or an actual paper copy of the scriptures there in front of you. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, we'll read down through verse 29 together and then come back and unpack it together. Uh, Genesis 9, beginning in verse 18, we read these words. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. This is God's word. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that the stories that we read, perhaps in a children's Bible, where all the tensions get resolved by the end of the reading of that particular story, it doesn't work that way in the scriptures that I have in front of me. Uh, but there's tensions that remain throughout the story, right? We think that after the flood and God cleanses the earth of all of the evil and the violence and the destruction that everything would return to this idyllic paradise Edenic type state but that's not the case in fact we're reminded of that very starkly as we read Genesis chapter 9 and these latter verses of it we're reminded on the pages of scripture that whenever God wipes the earth clean through the sending of the flood, that one thing that survives that comes out of that is sin, right? That sin is not eradicated through the waters of the flood, but sin actually survives the flood. And the reason that sin survives the flood is because people survive the flood, right? Because sin is not in our environment, 
Sin is not in even in those people out there, but sin is in every person. Sin is in all people, and so long as people are alive, sin survives. Even in the righteous remnant that God preserves through the flood on the ark, sin persists. And we're faced with that stark reality here in the latter part of Genesis chapter 9. And we see it in at least two ways. First, you see it's sin survives in the excess and the exposure of Noah. It survives in his excess and his exposure. In verses 20 to 21, we read about Noah planting a vineyard. Okay, he plants a vineyard, grows some grapes, makes some wine, and then he gets sauced. Okay, now the verb began in the text. It describes not a renewed activity as if something that had been going on prior to the flood that Noah resumes, but it's a very new activity, something that had never been done before in human history. In other words, Noah is the first person to develop what's called viticulture, or the growing science of growing grapes, and viniculture, the science of making wine. And yet, as we read earlier in Genesis chapter 4, as we worked our way through this early portion of Genesis, and we saw how advancements in science and technology were distorted, twisted, and perverted by human depravity, you see that happen here once again. Because once Noah has drained the wine press, fermented the juice, he doesn't drink in moderation, but he drinks in absolute excess. So Noah loses a degree of self-control. And as a result, not only does he experience drunkenness and excess, but in his drunkenness, in his inebriated state, Noah gets naked. Right? He unclothes himself. And you might say, well, Noah was in the privacy of his own tent. And you would be right. He was in the privacy of his own tent. However, in Genesis chapter 3, when the eyes of our first parents were open and they realized they were naked, the first thing they did was reach for fig leaves in order to cover themselves because they felt shame. And from Genesis 3 forward, right, nakedness and shame are associated together in the Scriptures. So Noah's nakedness in Genesis 9 is just like Adam and Eve's nakedness in Genesis 3. It's a shameful state brought about by Noah's sin. And listen, in a culture today that has very little shame regarding nakedness, we must remember that to be naked before God in our sin is a shameful condition. It's a shameful state. In fact, that's why people do crazy things. That's where some addictions come from. Alcoholism, drug addiction, people trying to deal with the shame. They're trying to cover it in some way, some shape, or in some form. Because somewhere inside of every person, we know that our sin has exposed us before the eyes of God, just like Noah's had. So sin survives in Noah's excess and exposure, but it also survives in Ham's perversion and narration. Let's look at that in verse 22. We read about Noah's youngest son, Ham, taking notice of his father's nakedness. Now, listen, there's a difference between a glimpse and a gaze, right? I think we all recognize that. When you're driving down the Interstate 30, heading into Dallas or away from Dallas, you might pass by like all sorts of billboards, advertisements for cars. You might pass by a car that you catch a glimpse of driving 80 miles an hour, or some of them like 95, right, as they blow by you on I-30, 
right? There's a difference between catching a glimpse of one of those vehicles and then going to a car lot and looking at the sticker, the price tag, all the features, gazing at that car, right? Longingly, searchingly, with a desire to purchase that vehicle, right? There's a difference between a glimpse and a gaze. And what's being described here in the text whenever we, it says that Ham saw his father's nakedness is not a glimpse but a gaze, In fact, that word shows up elsewhere in Song of Songs. In chapter 1, verse 6, to describe a longing, searching gaze. Not a harmless glimpse that Ham catches of his father unclothed. So what's likely meant here is that there's a perverse and excessive pleasure that Ham derives from seeing the nakedness of his father. And it's a pleasure of the worst sort. Right? It's a pleasure that he gains from seeing someone else in that unclothed state. And it's always, when that takes place, always a violation of that person's dignity. And Ham's pleasure is also derived from a homosexual gaze. And worse yet, a longing gaze at his own father whom he should have honored. But not only does Ham linger with this longing gaze, but Ham, you could say much more about this, but there's a lot of littles in the room this morning. Not only does Ham linger with this longing gaze, but Ham narrates what he's seen to his two brothers, to Shem and Japheth, who are standing outside the tent of their father. Because Ham, instead of covering his father's shame and nakedness, he chooses to broadcast it. He chooses to narrate it. He chooses to tell the story. He said, man, you've got to see what I just saw. Come in here and take a look at this. And Bruce Waltke, a commentator on the book of Genesis, said, Noah's leaven of exposing himself spreads to Ham. His homosexual parent dishonoring voyeurism and will sour fully into Canaan's rampant sexual perversion so the land will vomit them out. See, Ham, rather than covering his father's shame, covering his father's sin, covering his father's nakedness, Ham exposes his father's exposure to his brothers. And all of this is recorded for us, I believe, in Genesis chapter 9 for a very particular purpose. Because I believe that what the author of Genesis wants us to see is this, that when Adam, what, when, where Adam fails as the father of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, Noah fails as the father of mankind in Genesis chapter 9. See, in verse 19, we're told that it's from Noah and his three sons that all the people of the earth were dispersed. In other words, Noah is seen as another Adam. Right, Noah being, or Adam being the father of all those who lived pre-flood, Noah being the father of all those who lived post-flood. And in verse 20, we read that Noah began to be a man of the soil. And that word soil in verse 20 is the same word used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God reaches into the dust of the earth, the soil of the ground, and forms the man. He forms Adam. And now Noah begins to work the same ground, the same soil, out of which Adam was formed. And the same soil that was cursed because of Adam's sin. See, there's a parallel, I believe, the author of Genesis wants us to see between the original creation and the recreation. And just as Adam failed in the garden, so Noah fails after the flood. Because sin does indeed survive the flood. Now, the sin of Ham, I believe, provides the occasion for this pronouncement in the text of a curse and a blessing. 
a curse and a blessing. And I believe what it te- one of the things it teaches us is this. You're like, okay, where are we going with this? Let me get, let me get to the, the heart of the matter this morning. I believe one of the things this particular text teaches us is this, is that our direction determines our destination. Our direction determines our destination. Now, I'm old enough to remember road atlases, okay? Rand McNally, all right? As, a, as a, a child who grew up in southwest Louisiana, I traveled all across the state of Louisiana looking at a road atlas, right? It's before you could say, hey Siri, map me to X, Y, and Z. It's before you could pull it up in Google Maps or Apple Maps or Waze or whatever other wayfinder you might use. In fact, I can remember once when, when smartphones began to develop in prevalency, I can remember my father, who was a very late adopter, okay, you can imagine that, uh, was a very late adopter to smartphone technology, and I remember us traveling with them at one point, and my children being in the car with us, and my dad had a big Rand McNally Road Atlas, which they still produced, by the way, out in front of him trying to navigate where he was going. And my daughter, who was probably four or five at the time, says, Paul, Paul, don't you know Google? <laughs> and so because all she had ever known was that you just plug it in. But before those days, you had to navigate using paper maps. And one of the things that navigating with paper maps taught me is that you cannot drive west on I-10 from Lake Charles, Louisiana and end up in Florida, right? And you cannot drive east on I-10 from Lake Charles, Louisiana and end up in California, right? Because your direction always determines your destination, In the same way, church, listen, we cannot expect to cast off the commands of God and enjoy the blessing of God. When we cast off God's commands, we will experience consequences. Now let me show you what I mean by that in the text. It's important to remember as we think about this principle, is, is, it's, it's important to remember who is the source of the book of Genesis. In other words, its author, its human author, Who's being written about, the characters in the story, and then who it's being written to, the audience that's first receiving it. Now, most conservative scholars would, would, would hold to a position that Moses is the source for the material that we have in the book of Genesis. Whether he's its final editor or not, that he's the source of it. In oral tradition, passing it down, relaying the stories that have taken place. And he's writing about the characters here in the story, about Noah, about his sons, about the flood that takes place. But he's writing to a particular audience with a particular message for them. And I believe who Moses is writing to would be a post-Exodus nation of Israel who's come through the sea, received the law, and is on the verge of entering the land. Right, Because once Moses dies, he dies before they ever go into the land. So if he's the source, he's relaying all of this prior to Israel entering into the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob earlier or later in the book of Genesis. And so Moses is the one writing. He's writing about Noah, but he's writing to Israel. And I believe what Moses is wanting to communicate to his audience from this story is, is he's wanting to highlight here the theological significance that obedience brings blessing while disobedience results in a curse. 
Because this particular audience that's receiving this from Moses has also received from Moses the Ten Commandments that God had given on the mountain after God brings the nation through the Red Sea, crushes the Egyptians behind them, and then shows them, hey, I rescued you out of bondage and slavery. Here's what it looks like to live as my covenant people. And he gives them the law. And so they'd already see the Ten Commandments. And does anybody know what the Fifth Commandment is? Yes, right? I hear some of you like, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll mumble it. Uh, Honor your mother and father or your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So they've already received this command from God and God saying this is what it looks like this is one of the ways that you walk in my ways you honor your parents that your days you may enjoy God's blessing your days may be long in the place that I'm sending you and yet in Genesis 9 you see one son dishonoring his father while two sons honor him and the two sons who honor their father they receive a blessing While the youngest son of the son who dishonors his father is cursed to be the servant of the other two lines. So the youngest grandson of Noah from Ham is the one who receives the curse. I don't think that's a coincidence. Here you have God having given the commands to his people. And here Moses is recounting a story of Noah. One son dishonors his father. Two sons honor him. Two sons receive a blessing. One receives a curse. The blessing and curse pronounced in the text, they function like a a warning or even a prophecy that are fulfilled, listen, not in the genetic line, but in the line of those who walk in the ways of Shem and Japheth and those who walk in the ways of Ham. That's where it finds its expression. See, the difference between the futures of these lines is not their ethnicity, but their morality. And it's important that we recognize that. In fact, I want to camp out on that here for a moment because our direction determines our destination. Right? The things that we do, our actions, our activity, our deeds determine our destination. Not, not our racial stock. Not our genetic line. And it's important for us to recognize this because in very many white evangelical circles for a number of years, right, there was, what was discussed was this so-called curse of Ham. That resigned these Hamitic peoples, which if you read the genealogical, if you, if you follow it forward, the Hamitic peoples were the African peoples that came from the line of Ham. That these African peoples were resigned to be the servants of the Eastern peoples, the Shemites and the Japhethites, the European peoples. But in reality, this had nothing to do with race or ethnicity. And yet many, many in Christian churches throughout the years took it this way. They reasoned that because Ham was the father of black people and because he and his descendants were cursed to be slaves because of his sin against Noah, some Christians, they said Africans and their descendants are destined to be servants and should accept their status as slaves in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. This was a position held in the church, capital C Church. 
And Bible commentators as late as the 1980s and 1990s were interpreting and implying this passage in this way in widely read, influential Bible commentaries. This misinterpretation was propagated by uh, the likes of C.I. Schofield in his reference Bible in Genesis 9. He has a note on Genesis 9 that says, A prophetic declaration is made that from Ham will descend an inferior and servile posterity. In other words, a lesser than people. Now, I love the way that Dr. Tony Evans deconstructs this argument with the Bible. Listen to what he says. He says, never mind, of course, that the Bible says that Canaan, Ham's son, was cursed, not Ham himself. That's only one of Ham's four sons. Not all four were cursed. How then could all black people everywhere be cursed? Never mind, he says, that the Bible places limitations on curses only three or four generations at most. Never mind that the curse on Canaan and his descendants finds its most obvious fulfillment in the ongoing subjugation of Canaan by Israel. Never mind that the descendants of Ham's other sons, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, have continued to this day as national peoples in Ethiopia, Egypt, and Libya. And never mind that God says that curses based on disobedience are reversed when people repent and turn again to God. This is certainly sufficient to negate the Christian endorsement of American enslavement of black Christians. He says this, myths, however, do not need facts. They simply need supporters. So if this curse has nothing to do with ethnicity, what does it have to do with? I'll say it again. It has to do with our direction determining our destination. See, Canaan is the youngest son of Ham, and he is the one who receives the curse as Noah pronounces it. And he becomes the father of the Canaanites, those people that we know from the Old Testament who dwelled in the land prior to Abraham, or, or, or even prior to God sending Abraham into the land, and prior to God bringing uh, the people of Israel into the land under Joshua to drive out the peoples from before them. So the Canaanites, they walked in the ways of their father, Canaan, who walked in the ways of his father, Ham. In fact, you, when you read ancient Canaanite literature, you see that a part of their worship rituals were to engage in very perverse activities with temple prostitutes. That was a part of their worship. As one commentator said, the Canaanites were to suffer the curse And the bondage, not because of the sins of Ham, but because they themselves, like Ham, they themselves acted like Ham because of their own transgressions. And Canaan's slavery is not just political, that Israel would occupy the land eventually and subjugate them, but rather it is spiritual. The curse placed upon Canaan links him with the curse on the serpent and on Cain, those who walked in the ways of Cain and those who walked in the ways of the serpent. However, this curse that's pronounced is not without exception. And I love this. Listen, take a look at this with me for a minute. See, if you read a little further into the Bible and take it in its full context, what you're going to see is this, is that whenever Israel goes into the land, before they go into the land in Joshua, they send in some spies. And whenever they send in some spies, those spies take a reconnaissance of the land. They see what's going on there. And there is one Canaanite woman named Rahab, who provides shelter for those spies, protects them, sends them out another way, the scriptures tell us, and then like, like 
is, a, is, is like dilutes like where she has sent them whenever the Canaanites come looking for them. And we're told that because of her faith and trust in Yahweh, she believes that Yahweh is greater than her gods. Because of her faith and trust in Yahweh, she is grafted into God's covenant people as a Canaanite. And even so far as to be grafted into the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Then, further in Joshua chapter 7, when Israelite Achan... When he sins by taking things that were supposed to be devoted to destruction, he is cut off from among God's covenant people. In addition, when the nation of Israel, who would end up being the descendants of Shem, when they reject the ways of Yahweh and they act like Canaanites, what does God do? God makes them the servants and slaves of the invading nations. And the land vomits them out into exile. So is all that enough to see that this has nothing to do with ethnicity? This has nothing to do with race? This has everything to do with morality, behavior, your direction, your deeds determining your destination. So it's important for us to recognize, even from the example of Ham and Canaan, that listen, behavior is imparted. It is not inherited. It is imparted, not inherited. Listen, there's a difference between inheriting something and something being imparted. Okay, If you inherit something, like my children, my children have inherited certain genetic markers from me, certain features of mine. God bless them, right? My children have blue eyes like I do, right? Not, Not hazel eyes like their mother. Right? My children have more fair skin like I do in the winter, but their skin responds to the sun more like great, glorious tans during the summer. I just burn, okay? Right? So they have blonde hair like I do. My son's hair has got a wave to it because of the curliness of my hair. That's why my hair is so short, because if it gets too much longer, it just sticks straight up, and it's a mess to deal with. My daughter's hair has a wonderful curl to it, right? That my wife's hair does not. Her wife, her hair is straight as a board, okay? And so there's these certain genetic things that our kids have inherited from us, these genetic markers that are passed down. And yet, and yet, the sin of Ham was not inherited. It was not a genetic predisposition to perversion. Because to impart something, listen, is different than inheriting something. When you, impart, when you inherit something, it's passive. You just receive. But when you impart something, there's an active teaching and modeling that takes place. Where you're receiving instruction. And patterns of behavior, listen, they are imparted. They are not inherited. The sin of Ham was imparted to Canaan. And from Canaan to his descendants. Because it's what they saw modeled for them. Let me say it this way. While our environment and our families of origin influence our decisions. They teach us certain norms and values. They shape how what we see as virtues. And they define what we understand as vices. What is sin? What is righteousness? What is true? Our patterns of behavior, they are imparted. And as a result, though, each, because they're not inherited, 
Right? Each individual is responsible for their own decisions. Each person. So at the, at the great judgment, it's not going to be enough to say, well, my mom and dad, this is how they lived. No, God will hold us in account for how we have lived, for our behavior, because it's not inherited, it is imparted. Every person must answer the question for themselves, will I walk in the ways of my family of origin? Will I give myself over to and succumb to the environmental influences in my life? Will I walk in the ways of my ungodly parents? Will I walk in the ways of my godly parents? And listen, let me give you the bad news first. The bad news is this, is that no matter how godly you are as a parent, and maybe this will relieve some pressure from some of us, no matter how godly you are as parents, it does not guarantee that your children will walk in the ways of God. Raise up a child in the way it shall go, and when they are old they shall not depart from it. It's not a promise, it's a principle. There's no guarantee that no matter how godly you are as a parent, that your children will walk in God's ways. This is why you see children of some faithful and fruitful Christians who walk away from the things of God as they emerge into their adult years. But let me give you the good news. The good news is that no matter how ungodly your parents were, the good news is that you're not resigned to their fate. This is why you see some who come from extremely, every home is dysfunctional to some degree. Can we all just admit that? Right? This is why you see some people who come from extremely dysfunctional homes, full of abuse and addictions, who become pillars of righteousness by God's grace. Because no matter how, how sinful your parents were, you were not resigned to their fate. See, your direction determines your destination, no matter the course that was charted for you by your family or by your environment. Behavior is imparted, not inherited. And your, your direction determines your destination. So as we, as we conclude this morning, I, I, I want to conclude by... I think identifying what Moses is inviting God's people to in every generation from this passage. And I believe what he's inviting every individual, every person and every generation to from this passage is this, to enjoy God's blessing. To enjoy the blessing of God on your life. And so how do we do that though? Let me give you two ways from this passage. First, First, if we're going to enjoy the blessing of God, we must trust in the covenant Lord. Trust in the covenant Lord. See, you and I are a mixed bag, just like Noah and his sons. All right? There is no, and, there, and I want to tell you this, there is no blessing from God greater than having our sins atoned for and forgiven. There is no blessing from God greater than having our sins covered. And listen, it's through the line of Shem that comes the Messiah. In verse 23, Shem and Japheth, they honor their father. And as a result, they are blessed in verses 26 and 27. And whenever Noah pronounces the blessing upon Shem, he doesn't say, blessed be Shem. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. 
And that word Lord in our English Bibles, it's in all caps, is an English translation of the covenant name of God that God reveals himself to, right? To Moses in the burning bush in Exodus, right? Yahweh, tell him I am that I am sent you. Right? That's the covenant name of God. And so here, even at this point, Moses is saying, Shem is in covenant relationship with God because the Lord is Shem's God. This covenant promise-keeping, promise-making, promise-fulfilling God is the God of Shem. Then in verse 27, he says, May God enlarge Japheth. May they expand and increase, make room for them, and may they dwell in the, in the tents of Shem. Right? And so here, these European peoples, which the Bible in the New Testament is going to know as Gentiles, okay, as Gentiles, may they dwell in the tents of Shem, who would be. Right, the peoples of the eastern peoples, which would include the Israelites, through whom would come the Messiah. That this covenant God has made a promise to deal with sin, to cover sin, and it's going to come through the line of Shem and May. Japheth, dwell in the tents. Now, you can read all throughout the Old Testament and never find a reference to the, the Japhetic peoples dwelling in the Shemite people's tents. But whenever you fast forward into the New Testament, some of this begins to make sense, perhaps for the first time. Because the word enlarged that's used in Genesis 9.27 means to make space for. In other words, may there be space for Japheth to live dwell in the tents of Shem. And the fulfillment of this, I believe, comes to pass in the New Testament as God begins to ingather the Gentiles in Christ. Because we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul's going to write these words, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. The Japhetic peoples our fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through what? The gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, that all peoples in all places could dwell in the tents of Shem because Christ is not an ethnic Messiah. He, he has an ethnicity, but he is a Messiah for all ethnicities, for all peoples who by faith would place their confidence and trust in him. And if you want to know God's blessing today, you cannot find it apart from him. You cannot circumvent Jesus to find God's blessing. You can't live a good, moral, upstanding life and think that God's going to look at that and reward you because we're all a mixed bag. Noah was a righteous dude who got drunk and naked, right? And listen, if you and, you and I are a mixed bag just like that, although our sins may look a little bit different, but we're a mixed bag just like that. So God doesn't look upon our record and reward us for our record. But he blesses us in Christ, draws us to himself, fills us with his Holy Spirit. That's the greatest blessing you could ever have. 
See, this blessing of God is not about how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, or what kind of house you live in. It's about the blessing of having your sins covered. So enjoy His blessing by trusting in the covenant Lord. If you've never trusted in Christ, He stands ready to receive you this morning. If you will place your confidence in Him. and Stop trying to cover your own shame. And allow the blood of Jesus to cover it for you. But second, if you're going to enjoy the blessing of God, not only do you trust in, God, in the covenant Lord, but you also learn to walk in His ways. You walk in His ways. See, the emphasis that Moses is, is communicating in highlighting the story of one son who dishonored, two sons who honored, is showing, right? Direction determines destination. So if I want to live in the fullness of enjoying God's blessing, then I put my feet on the path of walking in His ways. What are some of the other ways that God tells us to walk? He tells us in the Ten Commandments, tear down your idols, have no other gods before me. In other words, have nothing else no other person, no other possession, nothing, no other particular position, right, in your mind that is more important to you than me. Right, to no other God, nothing that would be elevated in your heart above me. Tear down your idols, destroy the high places in your life. That your loyalty and allegiance would exclusively, exclusively belong to God and no other. We can say, honor your parents. Honor your parents. Walk in His ways. Right? That's not only Old Testament, that's New Testament. Right? If you want to get real, real precise about it. Right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. right? Honor your parents. At, at a young age, that looks like obedience. At an older age, listen, it looks like respect and service. Are you honoring your mother and father walking in God's ways? Uphold and maintain purity. Uphold and maintain purity. Jesus, or, or, or Moses says, or God, God says to Moses, right, shall not commit adultery. And Jesus is going to say in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, he says, you've heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you to look at a woman lustfully, right, not a glimpse, but a gaze, longingly, searchingly, with lust in your heart, Right, that you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So uphold and maintain purity. Let your eyes look upon nothing that is contaminated or filthy. Right, reserve your heart and affections and purity for the Lord. Establish rhythms of rest in your life. Keep the Sabbath. Live with contentment. Right, not coveting those things that belong to your neighbor. Right? All of these things are ways in which we walk in the commands of God. And if we cast off the commands of God, we cannot expect to enjoy the blessing of God. But there will be consequences in our lives. Listen, if you cast off God's command to keep the Sabbath, you know what you're going to do? You're going to end up like a rubber band that's been stretched too far. And whenever you do that, what happens? Eventually that rubber band breaks. If you cast off the command of God, thou shalt not commit adultery. Leave a little king, drop a little King James on you this morning, right? If you cast off that command 
and give yourself to lust in your heart and with your eyes, what happens is that erodes your capacity, right? Those of you who've experienced looking at things that your eyes have no business looking at. There are kids in the room, I could say it much more bluntly than that. But you know what happens is it erodes your capacity to have real healthy relationship with someone of the opposite sex, with a wife or with a husband. It destroys that capacity that has to be rebuilt over time. If you cast off the commands of God and establish for yourselves other idols, then you know what will be the determining influence for all the decisions that you make in life. If something is more important and valuable to you than God, it will be whatever you've put in that position. Material possessions. Promotions at work. And so you will cut corners and go around corners and dig tunnels right, to get to the top. If what's most important to you is a promotion in a position. If what's most important to you is material possessions, the car that you drive, the home that you live in, right, then you will, right, you will line out all of your resources and refuse to be generous to others because of selfishness and greed that has taken a hold of your heart, a grip on your heart. Don't you see how there are consequences to that? You will not walk in God's blessing if you cast off His commands. And so trust in the covenant Lord and walk in His ways. See, faith in, in, in the God who reveals Himself in the person of Jesus Christ is not only a one-time faith, but it's a daily Faith and obedience as you walk in His ways. And that doesn't mean that all of your life is going to be tied up in a neat little bow and super simple and easy. But it means that you will enjoy the blessing of God. Your direction determines your destination. Your direction. So don't point back at your parents. Don't point back at your environment. Because behavior is not inherited. You didn't inherit that gene from your mom or dad or from the environment that you grew up in. It was imparted. It was taught to you. And you can learn a new way. And walk in it. Let me pray for us this morning that we would. Father, we come today thanking you for the grace that you show even to sinners like me. Sinners like us. You were so gracious that you gave of yourself through the sending of your Son who will be a fulfillment of this prophecy that we read in Genesis chapter 9. Who would provide covering for all those who would come into the tents of Shem and trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ who's provided covering for all of our sin. Father, help us to trust this morning in you as a God of covenant, as a God of promises, who is faithful to fulfill those and then gather all peoples from all places into your church. But as your people, may we 
continue to learn to walk in your ways. Not casting off your commands, but rejoicing in them, finding shelter under them, and enjoying your blessing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.